When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into episode 127 of the Sources Say podcast, your go-to Kentucky basketball and recruiting podcast on the Growing KSR Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jack Pilgrim of Kentucky Sports Radio. Very happy to be joined once again by the one and only Sean Smith of Go Big Blue Country. Sean, how the heck are you? Doing good, Jack. How are you? Well, I uh, was doing quite fine until we got our uh, significant news today that C.J. Frederick will miss the remainder of the season after undergoing uh, hamstring surgery, uh, a, a brand new injury, something completely unrelated to his uh, other leg issue that he was dealing with. So quite an absolute blow. But Sean, before we get into the action, talking about the injury and kind of what it means and then uh, obviously, the game itself and, and kind of a breakdown of that. I wanted to tell our incredible sources, say listeners, about our friends at BetQL Daily, sponsored by FanDuel. Now, I'm just starting to dip my toes into the world of sports betting, tossing a few bucks here and there throughout the week, just to add a little bit of spice to the games I'd be watching anyway. After being completely out of the loop in this realm, I found BetQL Daily, sponsored by FanDuel, and it has been an absolute blast following along with the experts, understanding where the market is moving, which smart bets are out there, and have some fun listening while you're at it. BetQL Daily, sponsored by FanDuel, is the must-listen show for sports bettors and sports fans alike. Host Joe Ostrowski, Joe Giglio, and Aaron Hawksworth serve up Wagertainment, the sports talk you love, with the betting insights you need each weekday. Find out where the market is moving across all the week's biggest sporting events. Miss out on earlier games? BetQL Daily has you covered there, too, with recaps from some of the biggest recent moments in sports, if you're not sure where to start with sports betting, start with BetQL Daily, presented by FanDuel. Listen weekdays, 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Odyssey, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Sean, uh, let's jump right into this news that uh, just kind of hit our feeds as we were getting ready to get rolling. Thank goodness that we didn't jump into the podcast earlier because we'd have to have a little breaking news segment in the middle of it. So, CJ Frederick. After seeing him enter the arena last night in crutches, uh, you heard on the pregame radio show, Tom Leach said something to the effect of a, a hamstring issue. After the game, Coach Cal said that uh, it was a, a, a lingering hamstring issue and uh, that he would be out for a bit and didn't clarify how long that would be, anything of that sort. So here we are, middle of the day on Saturday, and C.J. Frederick is now apparently out for the season, Sean. That's uh, – uh, quite the blow for Kentucky's long-term uh, uh, season kind of expectations. It, it's deflating. It's it's not only deflating for for CJ. It's deflating for the fans because 
you're already seeing how good this team can shoot the basketball, and I, I still think that their best shooter is sideline with an injury. And, and that's saying something because this team is full of really good shooters. Uh, I hate it because it's a, it's a kid that essentially I, I know was, was in a way was coming back home. I mean, it's coming to a place where his family was going to get to watch him play more often. He was going to be from right up the road, uh, a place where he's had success as a basketball player, and now he has to wait even longer. And I know it's, it's going to be hard. It's, it's going to be a mental battle now because you're, you've had the injury issues at Iowa. You, you think you get those things cleaned up during the offseason, and now you have this. And uh, we, we really don't know how long that timetable is going to be, but it's just deflating news. Yeah, and that's that, that's kind of the story of it all is is just kind of how we got to this point. He arrives on campus. Um, it, you know, there was how his last injury and kind of the surgery that he had in the middle of the summer, how that all unfolded. There was a lot of kind of back and forth, and I know there was kind of some some teasing and joking about uh, you know how significant the injury was, how long he would be out. Cal came out right afterward and said, "Oh, it's a minor procedure, no big deal whatsoever." Uh, and you know, obviously. There are other things out there saying, no, this was an actual legitimate, you know, fracture surgery that he had to get done and, and all that. And, and looking at the timeline of it, he's now been out five months, four and a half, five months. So we're well past the point of it being a minor injury. And now uh, the minor injury has turned into a very significant one, no matter how you slice it, no matter how the, the initial injury happened or, or uh, the timeline of that it's this is uh it's one of those things that he had just started ramping himself up and and kind of getting his groove in practice and uh, Sean I, I I don't know do you think that this was a you know he's overdoing it with trying to overcompensate for his you know for, for his lower leg kind of ankle foot area and kind of ends up tweaking up top of his leg or you know I feel like that's kind of how the, something like this would come about is is you're kind of overworking yourself to try to compensate for one area and then another part of your your body kind of shuts down and, and crumbles so I, I I don't know that's kind of just me talking out loud thinking no I you know I mentioned that to you before we started recording that I could see that probably playing into it we know John Calipari's mentioned a couple of times right that he tried to go I know back near media day it seemed like he tried to give it a go and that he just was not ready and then we got the, the report after the game, after was it was at the last exhibition game last week, where Cal said he's going to practice tomorrow. So that was a week ago today. Yep. Uh, so we know that he's tried to give it a go. And, and I mean, I don't want to speculate or anything that maybe his body just wasn't ready to go at the rate that he was going at. Uh, but I think that obviously it could play a factor because we know that he's not been able to do anything full speed, Jack, for a while. So we know that his body's not in the shape that it needed to be in. but it could have just been something that was just a freak accident as well. I'm sure more details will come out at some point. Yeah. And this is an issue of, you know, you got to feel just sick for this kid because you talk to his family. And I, I was talking a little bit with, uh, you know, CJ's uncle, who's just a fantastic guy. He's a, you know, one of the all time great shooters in Notre, Notre Dame basketball history, Joe. Um, you know, we talk fairly regularly and he, it was, um, you know, I think there was a little bit of concern late last night because I think they had heard leading up to this news that there was an expectation that he was going to play. And I think there was a little bit of buzz that started leaking out a little bit and kind of a little bit of panic that, okay, why is he not playing? Why? What would lead him to be ramping up about ready to, to suit up and take the floor and then randomly be walking into an, an arena on crutches? Like there's, there's no – 
explanation for that outside of bad news. And I think they were kind of anticipating bad news. And then this is the bad news that ended up trickling out. So, I mean, it's, it's, it is, it's devastating for a kid that's dealt with injury issues throughout his entire career. Um, you know, all leg injury relate, uh, leg related injuries that he's been dealing with, you know, foot plantar fasciitis, um, you know, this ankle lower leg type deal. And now with his, this hamstring, it just feels like this dude just can't escape some of these leg issues and it sucks. Like I feel bad for him because he, he did have this significant role in this team and he was going to make an impact on this roster. And, uh, now I guess we got to kind of think of what's next, Sean. And, and, uh, I guess the next question is well, who's up next, who, who replaces him? And I know the automatic answer is, is Dante Allen because, you know, he, he played last night and uh, I think he did a lot of things pretty well. He, he struggled in some areas as he has done in the past. But I think he did a lot of great things uh, last night against Robert Morris, but Sean, I think the conversation starts with the big uh, elephant in the room is Shaden Sharp going to play for Kentucky basketball this season. And I think that with, C.J. Frederick now out for the year. There's a very clear uh, opportunity for a guy like Shaden Sharp to come in and play and, and kind of insert himself into the, you know, in terms of scoring, that there's a very clear role for him now on this roster. And, and now that he's enrolled or he's, he's signed, sealed, delivered, he's going to be enrolling um, in, in January. Sean, this, this news leads me to believe that we're going to see Shaden Sharp take the floor this season. I think it definitely puts uh, puts more likelihood that we do see him this season now that Frederick's going to be out. But you mentioned Dante Allen there a moment ago, too. I, I can see him getting some extra opportunities. But I think ultimately between November and December, I think that this means that Davion Mintz's role just became even larger. Uh, and I think that's going to be the guy that kind of has to step in and take those minutes. But I, I am with you. And now that there's an extra spot there, uh, you're kind of waiting to see what happens with Dante Allen, if, if Cal's going to give him more opportunities or if Cal's going to say, hey, look, he's not there defensively. He's not up to par with that side of his game. Shaden Sharp, you're adding the number one – the consensus number one player in the country to your roster in the midseason. If he can help Jack and he comes in and he's just that good right away and there's a spot, I – I think now you, this is more likely that you do see him than what it would have been. And if, if Frederick was there and playing those minutes, I think it was going to be too complicated to kind of keep everyone happy. But now that this has happened, this log jam in the backcourt is really no longer a log jam when you think about it. Yeah, I think it's a clear. I, I think it's clear what Kentucky's rotation is. And, and so here's the deal. I talked to Shaden's mentor and coach, Dwayne Washington, is his coach at the team you play with on the EYBL circuit, uh, a guy that has called a lot of big shots in this recruitment. And, and he was the one that initiated the first phone call with John Calipari and said, hey, I have a kid that you need on your team uh, and we got to make this thing happen. And, and Cal offered him a scholarship without even watching him play a single time uh, because he trusts that relationship that he has built up with, with Dwayne Washington and uh, just in the past. So there's there's – this is a relationship that's gone on for a while. And I was talking to this guy who's, who's a very impactful voice in this kid's life. And uh, he said he is coming in 100% to practice. He's not going there to play. He's not, uh, you know, going to rush himself into anything. Cal's not going to rush him into anything. But if Cal calls his number, he will be ready. He will play this year if, if Cal wants him to play. This, this is not something that he's going to come in and kind of force his way into the rotation and say, 
I don't care what you guys want. This is going to be a me thing. I want to get my name out there and kind of shoot up my, you know, draft stock and those sorts of things. This is not the case. This is a kid that just wants to come in and develop himself and help the team however he can in the immediate term. And then in the long term, develop uh, himself for, you know, the 2022, 2023 season, because uh, it has been determined that he will not be eligible for the 2022 uh, NBA draft. So uh, this is, this is about develop, a development year. This is a development semester for him, but if there's a very clear role for him, he's very capable as a basketball player. And if Cal sees that and, and he goes, man, we need that, we need that scoring punch. We need somebody to come in and, and give us that, you know, shooting burst or uh, just kind of that, that effort on, on defense or whatever the case is, Shaden's that guy. And, and I wouldn't be shocked now that CJ is out for the year and you don't have to kind of plan for future playing time for him, whatever the case is. I just, I, I just look at this and I go, Shaden is very capable as is. And he might not be the final product that Cal's hoping for, and that's going to be kind of for next year. But, but Sean, I, I don't see a single downside to him playing this semester, if even in spot minutes. If he plays 10, 15 minutes a game, what is that hurting well, in the long term? I, I think that when it comes down to it, I think Cal will make the best decision for all parties involved. And if he sees that it's best for Shaden to be out there and he's ready to be out there, I think that Shaden will be out there. But I just think that Cal's going to look at this thing and, and kind of play it by ear and see how it goes there early in SEC play. Let's see how the team's doing. Let's see what kind of trend they're on. But if Shaden's winning those battles in practice, and we fully expect Shaden Sharp to be like, here's the thing. Shaden Sharp is going to be ready to play at the college basketball level in January and next November. Like, he's that caliber of player. He's the consensus number one player in the country for a reason. He's going to step right in and be able to hold his own and do some things that I think that these guards in the Kentucky backcourt right now can't do. And that, that's going to be a difference maker. That's going to help them in practice. And if they see that that can help them in games, then I could see Shaden Sharp definitely playing for Kentucky this year. I, I was of the belief that it wasn't going to happen. But now with the news of C.J. Frederick, I think it is more likely that at least Cal starts to entertain that thought and that idea. But, you know, Shaden gets here in January. Jack, now Kentucky just had, Kentucky has to make it through November and December. Now this schedule November, it's okay. I don't see Kentucky losing any of these games. You get in December, you're on a road trip to Notre Dame. You've got Ohio State. You've got Louisville. You've got games there, an SEC game there in late December. Kentucky's going to be fine, though, even with the news of Frederick, because this is where the, the return of Davion Mintz is just it, – it now makes sense. It makes so much more sense now than it did in July. And I know I've talked about that in the last few weeks too, that you kind of just see a log jam here at backcourt and the guards and how's Cal going to keep everybody happy. Not saying that an injury to CJ Frederick has made things easier for John Calipari, but I think what it's done is it's kind of going to help Kentucky to identify roles a little bit easier, maybe sooner than what we thought it was going to happen because this, this backcourt, it's still solid. Yeah. I think that was my biggest question after the Duke game is where does Davion Mintz fit into this whole equation? Because I thought it was pretty clear that he had a, a spot on this team and he had a, a spot on this roster, but where in the rotation, but where does he fit in terms of role? Is he, is he that spark plug guy? Is he kind of an enforcer, a defensive kind of bulldog that's going to come in and, and uh, you know, kind of give you some grinded out minutes or, you know, like what, what is his role exactly going to be? Uh, and I kind of got a little bit worried because, you know, it, it kind of got that 
that feel of every time he came in, he would just try to get up some shots as quick as possible because you never know when, knew when he was going to get pulled. And, and uh, it, you know, it's just a guy that had such a significant role last year. It's, it's kind of hard to ask that same person to take a back seat a year later. And this, I think, you know, it's as unfortunate as it is for, for CJ, I think that this allows him to have that clear, concise, you know exactly what your role is every time you come in the game. And I think he, he showed that last night. Uh, it, it, I guess that's kind of the best thing in all of this is we haven't seen CJ play at all yet. So what we've seen on the floor right now, UK has already competed against Duke oh. on college back, basketball's biggest stage. And they already beat the absolute hell out of Robert Morris. It, it, it's not You're like seeing that depth playoff. Yeah. You're seeing that depth pay off now. All that depth that we talked about was like, how in the world is Cal going to keep all these guys healthy? Like, we don't know what's going on with Jacob Toppin right now. Like, we have no idea. Cal set an MRI, so that kind of remains to be seen exactly what the extent of that injury is. We know he played versus Duke. He did not play last night. Lance Ware's banged up, didn't play last night. So that's where these guys like Bryce Hopkins and Damian Collins and the Davion Mets, these other bodies, all this collection. This was a very good year for Cal to say, hey, I'm filling my scholarships. Yeah, And then bringing a guy like Shaden Sharp in early. This was not the year to mess around because, you, I mean, look, if it had been like one of these normal years where he's got 10, 11 scholarship guys, they're playing seven guys right now. And that's it if they, if they didn't have all this depth of talent. So you're seeing this depth pay off, pay off now, and that's a really good thing. Yeah, I think it's, uh, it's, it's a great sign. I think last night was so needed for this program. And, and let's, let's kind of transition into the game itself. I thought last night's 160 victory over Robert Morris at Rupp Arena was exactly what the fan base needed. I think it's exactly what this team needed. I think it's what the coaching staff needed to just kind of see. It's like that that shooter's mentality. You just got to see the ball fall through the hoop one time to kind of get that resurgence back, to kind of get that momentum back. And I think that after last season left such a bad taste in everybody's mouth, the fan base, the players, the coaches, everybody associated with the program, everybody. I think after such a difficult season, they just needed to, to, to see an absolute butt whooping. They need to go out there and see, okay, this is what Kentucky basketball is. This is what we've been this whole time. We lost kind of sight of that for a minute, and there were adversities that, that kind of we weren't in control of. But we needed that punch in the face to college basketball that said, okay, here we go. This is what we need. This is, this is who we actually are at the end of the day. And, you know, we got the full – the, you know, Rupp Arena crowd, we got to see the eruption from them and, and at UK's brightest moments and most explosive highlights. Like, it felt like normal again. And I think that was something that this this team desperately needed right now. And I think it was something the fan base needed as well. Absolutely. And I think the announced attendance was a little over 18,000. I was I kind of looked at that place last night and was like, I don't know if there's 18,000 in here or not. But the, the fans were loud. You got to see the ball going through the net. Kentucky hit the century mark for the first time in a very long time. What, 2017, I believe, was the last time they scored 100 points in a game. I think so. Uh, you saw the three You saw the three ball going. You And I told you upstairs last night, you asked me, what is the main takeaway? from this and my main takeaway and I told you I said I didn't think that they necessarily needed to bounce back from Duke because Duke didn't necessarily destroy Kentucky Kentucky had a lead they just couldn't match the physicality for 40 minutes that Duke had at multiple positions or the talent with two guys but so I didn't feel like it was a big bounce back thing but it was so encouraging to see a team full of veteran leaders 
take it for what it was. Duke was one game out of 40 possible games. And then last night was game two. I think that that's what you're going to get with this team. They're going to lose some games here and there. And they're going to be able to bounce back quickly and kind of regroup and then move on to the next game. And you saw that. And you saw it across the stat sheet. It was a collective effort. Damian Collins had himself tonight. Oscar Sheepway. Kellen Grady shot the ball well. Xavier Wheeler, 12 assists, zero turnovers in only 23 minutes. That goes right back into what I was saying in the preseason. He's going to lead the league in assists again, but it's going to be more efficient, and he's probably going to play fewer minutes doing it. And that's what I take away from last night is you had so many guys play very well just a couple of days after a trip to New York and a, and a loss to Duke where that could have been deflating for some, not for a group that's full of veterans and guys with juniors and seniors on this roster. That, that pays off dividends right there with just having that experience. And I, that's kind of what I struggled with last night when I was asking you what the biggest takeaway was because there were so many individual storylines that were kind of intriguing. Like you go Damian Collins, you know, it's, that's kind of one of the bigger ones. Damian Collins goes from getting two minutes. I mean, I think it was like a minute 25 or something ridiculous against Duke. Very clearly not ready for that spotlight and that kind of competition. Uh, so that was admittedly a an expectation hit for for him for me. Like I, I after that Duke game, I was like, all right, yeah, he's not going to be ready anytime soon. And then he goes out there and looks very capable again. Lack of competition, not the same size and strength and length and all that stuff. I, I get that, but very clearly more comfortable in his role. And uh, and I I thought it was a phenomenal performance. Oh, you could have you could have written like ten different stories last night. Yeah. Like, you could have written about Kellen Grady, who I think is just going to be Mr. Consistent. They, they've got to find him. To me, he's a guy that there needs to be some wrinkles within this offensive system where they go four or five looks for him a game just to get him a look. Because he's going to get his own out of Sabir Wheeler getting downhill, but you want to call his number four or five times himself. You have Oscar Sheboy breaking records. I mean, we're talking stuff, Jack, that hasn't been done at Kentucky in a long time, hasn't been done in college basketball in a long time. Uh, going to probably lead the country in rebounds at this clip that he's on right now. And then you could throw in Savir Wheeler, a perfect night. 12 assists, no turnovers. You want to talk Davion Mintz being four for, uh, four or five from three-point range, four second half threes. The list goes on and on. Like, there was so much to write about last night, but that's why I came back to the one common denominator. And I said this a few weeks ago on this show. I think it's going to be a, be a by-committee thing for this Kentucky team this year. I think it's going to be a collective effort where they have really good players. We know that Ty Ty Washington has that high-end potential to be a star. But for the most part, I think it's going to have to be all hands on deck and a collective thing, and you saw that last night. Well, that was my biggest takeaway from the Duke game, is that that game showed that there's no way that every single player on the roster, because there's so many uh, – yeah, there may not be very many great, like, superstar-level talents on this roster – but there are so many very good players that do, a, do so many very good things that it's impossible to have 10 or 11, so 11 players now that, that CJ's out for the year, 11 players any given night that just, just can't produce. There's, there's no way that, that you're going to have all of your shooters go cold or all of your front court depth go stale or, you, you know, all of your playmakers to turn the ball over every time they go down the floor. Like there's just – the recipe, there's, there's such an abundance of talent that even on a bad shooting night, like we talked about last night, you're still going to get seven, eight, ten makes from deep. Like, 
there's there's just so much help across the board that it's really tough to see Kentucky losing to any uh, like I, I guess losing is one thing they, they're going to lose games but crapping the bed against any team I don't think that this team has that in them I don't know if there's if if a, a team this deep and talented up top and, and just kind of a thorough roster from top to bottom I, there's just no way that that you could look at that well, and go, yep, that team can get their get you know blown out any given night. There's just no way. No, and, and in years past, you knew if if a certain player was off, Kentucky was going to struggle. Like they, they've had teams like that, but with this one, and and that I still think that's the case against elite teams. Like they need Ty Ty Washington to be elite to beat Duke, or to probably beat some of these other teams like Gonzaga or someone that's in that top five, but. I think for the most part, though, this roster and its depth and its consistency with multiple people, it's going to be somebody different every single night. That is going to be good enough to win probably 90% of the games on the schedule. But to beat those elite teams and to do something special, they're going to need their guys like Ty Ty Washington or Oscar Sheway to be very, very good on those nights. But that's that's like 98, 99% of college basketball teams, right? Yeah. That their their best guy has to be good enough to to win a national championship, but I, I just think you're going to see this roster. We're going to be writing a lot of different stories as this year goes along, and as they get into SEC play, this depth's just going to continue to flex its muscles. I think they have a lot of high caliber players that can play quality minutes, and that's not something that a lot of teams have. Yeah, I mean, think of. If Duke doesn't have Paolo, if he gets in foul trouble or he's out for a very a long extended period of time, do they have the other pieces to make up for it? I'm still not convinced that to be the case. I, I don't think their bench is strong enough. I think that was there's a reason that it was a a basically two on five game where it was it was Trevor Keels and and Paolo basically taking on the entire Kentucky roster and just beating them head to head and. and those type of teams what what is Gonzaga without Chet Holmgren what is Tennessee without Kennedy Chandler what you know th- those those type of, of things Kentucky doesn't have a single player on that roster maybe Oscar Sheboy is probably the closest thing to it if Oscar's in early foul trouble who is that replacement guy but as we saw against uh, against Duke the Kentucky front court they're able to adjust you know if if Keon struggling, Jacob Toppin can come in, or Lance Ware can come in, or or you know Bryce Hopkins can play that versatile you know small ball four role or whatever. Like there's there are interchangeable pieces there that it would take a, a very significant hit, but but there's still enough kind of secondary talent on this roster to to compensate for it at least somewhat. Maybe not all the way, but at least slightly. And then you expect your guards to be better oh. than any other guard guard group in college basketball. So I, I think that's where that optimism comes from. And the one thing, too, that they still have to identify to me. So we're, we're talking about all this depth and all the bodies and options that they have, and, and that's going to be really, really good. Like I said, it's going to win you probably 90% of your games. They still got to identify, though, those crunch moments under four. Let's say you're down a basket. You need a bucket. Who are you going to? And I think that's the stuff that's kind of going to play itself out. I don't see that playing itself out in November. I think that that's going to play itself out in those December games against on the on the road at Notre Dame, Ohio State, Louisville, and then early in SEC play. They're going to find out who their closers are. Like, who's the guy that you want the, the ball in their hands late in the game? Are they going to be able to have a post presence? Are they going to be able to get something at Oscar Shibway on the block if they need to? Is that a Keon Brooks that gets that opportunity? 
on the block. Do they isolate Ty Ty Washington, or is it, is it Kellen Grady slashing and coming off some, some screens, some of that floppy action that Kentucky's been so good at over the years? I think that's where we're going to have to see some questions answered later in the season because I just don't see them being in situations over the next month that's really going to say, okay, who is our closer today? Like, who do we need to go to here? in this situation. I just think situational basketball, we're going to have to wait a bit. But right now it's going to be about adding to this depth, getting multiple guys playing well, getting multiple guys comfortable, especially Damian Collins. Cal said it last night, Jack. He has to play, and I agree with it 100%. Even even if they meet up with Duke again or someone that has a physical presence, I still think you have to play him and just live with it because his length, it affects the game. He affects the game in ways that other guys on this roster cannot. I mean, think of his highlight. The the at his biggest highlight plays were the biggest kind of momentum, and the, the game was never going to be close. I mean, it was close to start with, and they they fought a little bit, and made some some threes, but this was always going to be a twenty to thirty to forty point win at the end of the day. But at the peak of the Rupp Arena explosion, at the peak of the excitement and the and the the players buying in and celebrating with them was Damian Collins and his freakish athleticism and, and his, you know, the alley-oops that he threw down. And uh, obviously that his massive Duncan transition was the thing that just kind of took the absolute roof off the place. But uh, like the, those type of things, you can't teach that athleticism. You can't teach that length. Uh, some of those, those second and third jump attempts on, on his, some of those blocks that he had were just unbelievable. And that's, that's that, uh, you, you talked to Jay Lucas a couple weeks ago, and, and he talked about, I guess it was just like a week, a week and a half ago, he talked about, uh, you, you know, how Damien's like this blank slate. Like he's this piece of clay that you just look at him and he's like, you know, you know that he's not ready yet right this minute. But, man, when he finally puts it all together. And I, I think that's what these games are so crucial for uh, that this team last year just didn't get. It was such a gauntlet from day one. And they really didn't have any gimmies on the roster. I mean, it was – they had their Richmond game and they had the uh, Moorhead State game to start the year. And then from there, I mean, it was literally just big name, big name, big name, one after the other, going on these random trips to go to these different events and so on and so forth. And they never got that chance to – like, B.J. Boston never got his chance to have a 30-point explosion game where he could just go out there and let loose a little bit and, like – it was – imagine the struggles that Ty Ty had game one against Duke. Imagine if Kentucky had followed that up with uh, uh, their trip to Notre Dame. And then after that, their trip to the CBS Classic to play um, Ohio State. You know, if it was back to back to back, maybe he wouldn't get that looseness and that, that just feel for college basketball. Sometimes, Sean, you just got to go beat the hell out of somebody. Sometimes you just got to see the you ball do. all through the hoop. You just got to go beat a team really bad oh. – and Kentucky didn't get that last season. No, they didn't. And this is probably – I don't know what made me think of this, but I thought of it on the way home last night. And I don't know how – I don't know when you started watching UK basketball or how dated you are on, on the history of it or what teams you followed first. But and maybe this is a good comparison. It, it probably is too early. And I, I don't want to say that they're of the caliber, but the, the pieces – and just the collection kind of remind me of some of Tubby's teams there early in the 2000s, like the yeah. the group, I think, uh, after Tayshawn Prince left, with Cliff Hawkins at point, Gerald Fitch, Eric Daniels, Chuck Hayes, Clint Ozabuki. Like, there weren't those guys on that team that were just clear-cut stars. 
but they had a really good collection of their individual job very, very well. And I think that this team has those guys. But you also saw when it come down to the end of the year, you know, Keith Bogans had the the ankle injury and everything there, and then he and stuff late in the season, and it cost them, I know, uh, some games. But I could see this team being kind of a similar mold that reminds me of those teams where you still got your dudes that you know who they are, and I think Tata's still their best option at guard. I think that's your star in the making at some point this season. But you've also got some pretty good, good dudes that are pretty damn good job, pretty damn good at their job across this roster. Oscar Shibley going to clean the glass. I think they have potential with some two or three guys that can defend their position very well. Xavier Wheeler setting the table with assists. You have your shooters. They're really good in three areas. Now, to me, if this team can reach elite defensive level status, the way Oscar Shibway is rebounding the basketball, if they can limit teams to one shot and done and they're elite in defense, then this team has the potential in the ceiling to be really freaking good. Yeah, I think that's – I think you hit the nail on the head. I think that's where that excitement comes from. It's it's that there's no one player that this team relies on as your, as your make-or-break type player on the roster. There's not a single guy that you have to say, okay, he has to put up 30 points this game for Kentucky to stay in it. Or, like, it's, it's all complementary pieces. It's all things that they, they work together so well and the chemistry so well. I mean, th- think of – after the game last night, when Oscar's talking at the podium and Ty Ty Washington in the back of the in one of the media seats, and Ty Ty comes out of the locker room and he screams at the top of his lungs, Oscar, you're a legend, you're a beast. And like Oscar has this big old grin on his face, and there's just such happiness. And and, and Davion Mintz, he leaves the podium and, and Davion says, My man, you're a beast. You are a beast, Oscar. Like Little things like it's, that. Like, it's infectious. Yeah. It's infectious is what it is. When, when you play the game at a level that is so hard and you see a teammate that's beside you playing his absolute hardest going for rebounds or you see Xavier Wheeler playing, it's infectious. And it's those guys that are energy starters. They don't have to be the best player on our team, but they can certainly be the most important because that's what ignites the fire. And if you get it going, and you just ignite it, and you got a little spark going, and that first flame pops up. Next thing you know, the whole thing's engulfed. And if this team reaches that status to where they're so bought in and everyone is throwing something on the fire, then I think this team can be very, very good. I I think this is going to be a team that when we look up at the end of the year, they're going to be one of the most consistent teams in college basketball that's going to be in contention for a one, two, top three seed. I really fully believe that but they need some wins in the non-conference to kind of uh, set the tone before they get into SEC play. SEC play is going to be brutal. Man, they, they've got a lot of pieces, Jack, that just have experience. And I think for the most part, they have guys that really don't care what the role is right now. They just want to win. Yeah. I go back to last season and, and hearing of, you know, all the things going on behind the scenes and all the drama and the how, how we heard that, the, the team kind of clicked off from day one where a couple players kind of grouped together at the beginning and then another couple grouped together. And there was just so much isolation just in general because of COVID. But the, the team itself, just it, there just was not good chemistry at all. And I thought it was really telling that this summer when the preseason practices started, you know, I talked to different people 
from top to bottom within the, the organization, within the program. And the, the only thing you'd, you'd say, you know, okay, who's, who's the biggest surprise here? Who's, who's the one guy that's going to be the superstar? You'd ask those type of questions. And every single time it would go back to, man, it doesn't even matter because the chemistry is so good. It, that stuff doesn't even matter. Like, and you kind of got that sense like, okay, so is there not a superstar on this team? Is there not a major surprise? And then you started getting word of, you know, Bryce Hopkins being a, a big surprise and Ty Ty Washington kind of emerging as that guy. But the very early impression was, man, the team synergy and the, the overall chemistry is night and day difference between last year and this year. And I think it's telling. Like you said, it's contagious. It's an infectious thing that – I think has has kind of leaked into the entire roster from top top to bottom. There's just pure love. Like I, I go to Ty Ty. Ty Ty's a guy that everybody hyped up to be the superstar, and he's had you know 19 points in his first two games combined, and he hasn't shot all that well. He 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 had a very solid game against Robert Morris. Like I I was impressed with what we saw, but he is not he hasn't had his 25 point breakthrough game where he hits five threes from deep and and you know goes just goes ballistic like we haven't had that moment but Sean what was the one thing you noticed about Ty Ty all game long against Robert Morris he had his arm around somebody he was yelling up into the audience and, and throwing his hands up in the air going yeah get louder get louder he's that type and then you of see guy. his then you see his dad tweet out the exact same message you know it's not about your individual stats at Kentucky. You go to Kentucky to win. And he tweeted that this morning, and I, I thought that was very encouraging to see. I, I, I literally think that this is a team that they don't care. And, I, and you can see already how much they love one another. And that's something that these teams usually, they, they start finding that in late December, early January. Now, look, and I don't want to seem like we're overreacting to a 40-point win versus Robert Morris. This team certainly has things to work on to get where they want to go. But the foundation is there for this team to kind of be on track a little bit ahead of what John Calipari teams are. And I, that's where I was coming from earlier this week. I didn't get to do sources say with you after Duke. But my message would have been, it's one game. And I tweeted it that night. That loss changed nothing about how I view this team. Are there teams, I think, right now in college basketball better than Kentucky? Yes. But I think there's very few. Do those teams have the same ceiling that Kentucky has? I don't know. I think Kentucky has a high ceiling that they're going to they're going to figure some things out. Like I said, who's the guy that they need to play through late in games? But for the most part, the one thing that I think that this team needs to key in on, become an elite defensive team and the rest takes care of itself because this team is going to naturally score points because they have so many shooters and guys that can do and, and do those things offensively and put the ball in the basket. If they can buy in and be elite defensively as a unit, this could be a very, very good team. Yeah, I think it's a a very high floor, high ceiling type team where you saw if they're not hitting shots against Duke, if they're if Ty Ty Washington struggles to get the ball in, in the hoop, and and there's you know front court depth is an issue and defense is an issue, those type of things, you're still competing against Duke, who's who's seen as a, a true national title contender, and that's why. Sean, you you brought that up about after the Duke game where you, nothing changed for you. If anything, I think I was a little bit more optimistic about about UK's long term success and, and there, consistency after Duke. There were people that went into that game that thought Duke was going to beat Kentucky by twenty plus. Yeah, 
like there were a few people that thought that like I, I had it in Twitter replies when I do the score predictions and and I was like I just don't I don't think that this team's going to get blown out by anyone at any point this season because they have too many dudes that can put the ball in the basket but that's where I'm coming from that if that's where they were on the first night where they had so many guys hurt and they're still hurt the the unfortunate news was CJ Frederick today Jacob Toppin obviously still battling something Lance Ware we know since that open practice has been banged up I mean, they have multiple guys that, that have been out. They're not at full strength. Uh, they're still figuring out how to play with one another. But like I said, this team is going to score points with ease. But if they can identify maybe a low post threat, and that's what John Calipari keeps coming to. And, and to me, it doesn't have to be something that they do in the post for 50% of the time. When you need it, you just got to be able to go to it and the well not be dry. And that's what Kentucky needs from Oscar or somebody to develop a low post game there. If they can do that, and then they can be really good defensively. And I'm talking just pack that thing in, be, be connected as a unit, be in good help, have good energy on the ball with Xavier Wheeler, find some elite rim protection back there. If it's Damian Collins, if he plays 15 to 20 minutes, he can provide that. Oscar's a big body. It's going to clean up every single miss. This team has all the potential to be very good. Yeah, I, my my optimism, like you said, this is not a we're overreacting to a 40-point win against Robert Morris to open the season. We're saying that some of our, our expectations and the things we thought going into the season have been justified and made clear in the first two games. And some of the flaws that we kind of – thought about this team like like I've said on the show I didn't know about the uh, high-end potential of Oscar Sheeway I didn't think that he was going to be anything more than an eight and eight maybe eight and ten t- 12 and ten maybe on a on a great night th- those type of games I never in a million years thought that we'd be getting this type of just consistent unbelievable production that we've seen out of out of Oscar we've seen him against the best of the best competition literally he did that against the best front court in college basketball in in dukes and then he follows it up with another just as impressive performance against robert morris and i think those type of things it feels like our expectations that we had going into the year have been justified and now uh, it's just kind of a little nitpicky thing not like last year it was it was such big like what do you do about the point guard position like those type of big big questions i have none on this roster i think that there's uh, there every every little kind of gripe that we have it's all nitpicky and I think that's the that's the makings and recipe for a, a very successful team it is and uh, I agree with you 100 percent everything that you said there with, with Oscar it's a mindset I've I've always told kids that I coach that that rebounding and defense is all I want to like it, it doesn't take a ton of skill to rebound it's just a mindset. You get your, you get that thing in your mind that you're going to get in that thing with two hands. And now they are teaching, teaching him some technique. You know, John Calipari talked about that post game about not pushing in the back, that going and get the ball at the highest point and, and rebounding uh, with two hands and, and things like that. They're teaching those techniques and you're seeing that pay off. But Oscar has this mindset right now that every rebound that comes off that rim or that glass, it's his regardless of which end of the floor they're on, if it's on the offensive end or the defensive end. And he's had that mindset for a while. He told us at media day, I want to average 20 rebounds a game. And I think we all were like, okay, cool. Maybe he'll get there a game or two. Well, he's already done it twice, but it's all a mindset. And if this team gets that same mindset defensively, 
then I think that they can be good. And then Xavier Wheeler, like I said, 12 assists, zero turnovers in 23 minutes. Like that's the efficiency that I saw him playing with at Kentucky. He's not getting that efficiency somewhere at Georgia because the players around him aren't as good as the guys at Kentucky. Xavier Wheeler at Kentucky is going to be a very efficient player when he plays under control and this team continues to find out who they are. I think late in that Duke game, he got tired, like Cal said, and then it came down to Ty-Ty wasn't himself. Uh, they were looking for offense, trying to get baskets, and he tried to do a little too much. Last night, he did exactly what he needs to do. I think he also got four steals, if I'm not mistaken, Jack. Is that correct on that number? For he him, I believe. finished with three steals. Okay. The official box score has four right here. Uh, even better. Out. Even better. Well, did you notice that the official – that the box score late last night said 11 assists and then they gave a 12th? They did. He gave him a 12th. So, that, that might have been the updated one. I, I think I'm looking Actually, at – Actually, sorry. Correct. Correction. My fault. That's the season totals. He's got four for the season. I'm sorry. So, it was three last night. But 12 assists, three steals, uh, no turnovers, only two fouls, two of seven shooting. But, like you said, I – Thought it was – I think this performance was more impressive than what we saw against Duke. And and what he did against Duke I thought was unbelievable, even though he, he, he got sloppy late and the turnovers kind of cost him late. But I, I thought he was phenomenal against Duke. I just thought he was even better against Robert Morris. I think you, you don't need him to score 15, 20 points a game for him to be successful. No. What he did against Robert Morris is what this team needs. 22 assists, seven turnovers through two games. We'll take Seven it. of those turnovers were in game one. So that right there, you want to see that that differential. You want to see that high assist, low turnover ratio. Uh, but the fact that he's also getting steals too, it kind of cancels out some of those possessions that he will give up at times. Yeah, and I do want before we kind of wrap things up, uh, you you talked about Oscar's mindset, Sean. He gave one of the coolest quotes that I've heard in a really <laughs> long time. He gave a bunch. We talked about it a bunch after the game, and we laughed so hard because God, he's he's probably the most lovable freaking human being I've come in contact with in such a long time. I mean, he's just phenomenal. So uh, one of the reporters asked him after the game, they said, so is it a, a preparation thing with you rebounding? He said, no, it's not preparation. He said, there used to be this man in the NBA. His name was Dennis Rodman. You guys might, you guys might know him, <laughs> which, <laughs> yeah, quite familiar, actually. Uh, and then he says, I watched that dude. He did not care about scoring that NBA didn't pay him to have crazy 20, 40-point nights. They paid him to go rebound and do a lot of things. Rebounding is going to help your team. I have that mentality. I'm, going to, I'm getting better on offense under Coach Calipari. He wants me to get better. But rebounding is the one thing I know nobody can stop me from getting. I can get that anytime I want. I don't care how tall you are. If you think you can box me out, it's going to be a fight. It's going to be a real fight. Like, what a quote, man. Like, it's, it's like he's, A, one of the most likable human beings that I've come in contact with in a very long time you, covering this. But, but man. You read that, and I heard his voice the entire time you read that. <laughs> <laughs> and just his energy, his smile. He's, I told you last night we're standing downstairs there in the media room, and I said I think he might possibly be my favorite player that I've ever had at Kentucky or covered at Kentucky like. That dude is just so infectious. He makes you feel so much better about your day and what you're doing. And, man, how can you – you got to pull for that guy. Like, he's a gentle giant. Yeah. But when he's out on the floor, he doesn't care who has the ball. If it's Keon Brooks, Oscar's like, give me that thing. 
Meanwhile, the the record at Rupp Arena for rebounds in a game is Shaquille O'Neal with 21. That thing's going down. Oh, that's 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 shattered. Tuesday Tuesday against Mount St. Mary's, bet the over on that sucker because I I haven't seen their <laughs> roster yet. But you telling me that 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 Oscar Sheway is not getting that 21 rebound total against Mount St. Mary's? You're crazy. And the only, and you know what? The thing that's going to hurt is rebounding total. Kentucky's got dudes that are going to put the ball through the basket, so there's not going to be as many offensive rebounding opportunities. So imagine if this team wasn't a good shooting team, how many rebounds he had. That's true. Goodness. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And and the the sweet part of all of this is, and we've talked about it when he committed and, and kind of the backstory of uh, that, to be totally frank, the decision for him to go to West Virginia was really not his. It was The decision was made for him, and he's never been – happy with his decision to go to West Virginia. And uh, I wrote a story back in June when he talked to the media. He had a quote uh, back then that he said, when it came time to sign, I don't know where my mind was. I was always like, even when I played for West Virginia, I wish I could play for Kentucky. That was my dream school. My mom didn't like that. She was like, why didn't you make your move the first time? Then he said, God said, you're crying too much. It's time to go. So I said, mom, I'm getting my stuff and I'm going. If she was like, if that's where you feel you can be happy, then you need to go. She was happy with that. Everyone at home thought I made a good move. And then fast forward seven, eight months, 10 months, whatever it's been. Yeah, I guess it's been 10 months since he committed to Kentucky. He's now breaking every single record in the, in the rebounding book and, and putting, you know, making a name for himself last night after the game. I, I just put the story up talking about it. Um, he talked about all he wanted to do is make, make a name for himself. He said, I told people from the beginning, I want to be remembered. One, I want my name to be remembered one day. Like, that's Oscar. He did it. That's why I'm here. And it's just like yeah. this, this kid's story is just so powerful and so, so like, it's impossible not to root for him. Like, I, I've had Duke fans reach out to me. I've had, you know, rival Louisville fans, whatever. Every single one of them is like, man, there's nothing that you can dislike about Oscar Sheway. He's just that wholesome, that lovable of a human being. And it's, it's a joy that – it's a pleasure that we, we have the opportunity to cover him, John. Yep, it is. And uh, it's going to be a fun year for sure. There's a lot of personalities on this team, a lot of guys that are just – it's easy to pull for them. It's easy to pull for Davion Mintz. It's easy to pull for Oscar Sheway, Xavier, all these guys. And when they're easy to pull for – it's much more enjoyable, and those are the teams that Kentucky fans fall in love with. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a fun ride, Sean, and it's been a, a an interesting start. And uh, I'm I'm glad that we kind of get the ball rolling. We have another game Tuesday night against Mount St. Mary's, and then another on Friday. And you know, it's it's we're going to start getting to that rapid fire uh, every single day. There's at least something going on with, between the end of football season, between basketball, between media opportunities with basketball, and so on and so forth. So we have a, a lot of stuff to talk about, a lot of things to, to get, a, you know, vent about a little bit like we, like we do on the show, and a, a, lot, a lot of fun coming, Sean. Absolutely. Can't wait for it. Where can fans find your work? You can find my work at GoBigBlueCountry.com, and you can follow me on Twitter at GBBCountry. You can find me on Twitter as well, at JackPilgrimKSR. Reach out to me via email at jpilgrim at KentuckySportsRadio.com. With that, we'll be back next time for another jam-packed Source to Say podcast. We will see you then.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.